Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Kevin Johnson program as we speak to individuals who shape the culture of arts and entertainment here in South Florida. As always, you can find us on anchor.fm forward slash Kev John Pro. We're also on Facebook and Instagram, also under Kev John Pro, or should I say at Kev John Pro. So without further delay, let me introduce my guest at this time. His name is Darius J. Manuel. Once again, that's Darius J. Manuel. Darius is an actor, singer, director, producer, and he has also started his own conservatory called Renegade Theater Company. Once again, that is Renegade Theater Company. And uh, Renegade, your uh, you, you're, you're, uh, campus, you're based in Lauderhill, is it? Yes, Lauderhill, Florida. Okay, all right. And let's start from the very, very beginning. Are you a Florida native? I am indeed, born uh, and raised. Born and raised, all right, all right. How old were you when you started to get into the performing arts? It's a very funny story. Um, I started in the sixth grade, actually. I uh, used to attend Lauderdale Lakes Middle School. I was in their um, gifted program because I was a very smart student, was being the key word. <laughs> um, and I was starting to have a, a little school trouble when I was there in the sixth grade. And uh, throughout the months of August and September and October and November, my grades were starting to, you know, take a little downward turn. Um, all through elementary school, I was in gifted classes, so it just made sense for me to go to Lauderdale Lakes that had a gifted magnet program. Um, but it started to, you know, take a downward spiral, and I, I really don't know why. I guess I didn't feel like I fit. Um, and then in November, um, Parkway Middle School of the Arts, which is the performing arts middle school down here in the area, my cousin was going there. She was in the dance program, and so my mom was like, well, I don't know what's going on with Darius. We have to find a new middle school for him. This is not like him. Um, so she called Parkway since my cousin went there, and she asked him. She said, um, I have a student, um, and I you know, I want to get him into your program. What can I do? And they said, well, sadly, we only have one spot open in our entire magnet, and that's for the drama program. So um, in order for him to be you know, invited to our school, he would have to audition and be accepted into that program. And I didn't know what drama was, neither did my mom. Hmm. Uh, but they were just like, just have him sing a song and we'll just have a conversation with him. And, and my mom was like, well, sing? That's what you want him to do? He can do that. So <laughs> I went in and I belted out in my little prepubescent boy voice, Summertime from Porgy and Bet. And yes, the, Fantina, the Fantasia Barino version from American Idol. That's the one that I did. Okay. Um, and thankfully I got accepted. And then uh, what really made me love it was when we did the spring production of Once on This Island Junior. Um, I remember being in the ensemble and I was singing We Dance, which is the opening number. And when I heard the audience applaud, I turned to my best friend. Her name was Amina Richards. And I said, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And then from then on, I was hooked. And it's gone downhill ever since. 
it's funny because as I'm listening to you, it it is actually in comparison to what happened to me because oh. I uh, also uh, went to Parkway Middle School for uh, performing arts for drama uh, after you know doing um, church pageants and we would have vignettes and skits and my pastor encouraged my grandmother in order to put me in the performing arts program after I did like sixth and seventh grade at another middle school and I ended up going to uh, Parkway from my eighth grade and had drama. Now, I'm sure that we're two generations apart because by the time I was uh, there, we had um, classes. Our drama classes were actually at Dillard High School. And then our academic classes were at Parkway because I guess they were still working the campuses at that time. So I take it that all your classes, performing arts and whatnot, were at Parkway at the time you were there, correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Okay. So after middle school, uh, what high school did you go to? I actually went to Dillard High School. Okay. Performing arts high school. So I went over there with a bunch of my friends. Okay. Okay. And let me guess. You had, um, did you have Brenda Brown as one of your music teachers? I didn't. I actually had Mr. Nash and Ms. Strauss, mm -hmm. the uh, drama teachers, and then our music teacher was Ms. Bahari. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, you're speaking to an alumni. I'm class of 1994, so that'll tell you how old oh. I am. Uh, and speaking of Porgy and Bess, that's actually how I came across you because I saw you do a selection from Porgy and Bess uh, when they were supposed to be doing it at the Lauder Hill Performing Arts Center. Uh, this was for, yes. I believe, the South Florida Symphony. So I know that uh, you, did a, you, you did a selection from there. So I know that uh, you have been working in this local market for quite some time. So let's fast forward yes. a bit. Let's fast forward a bit. Um, what was the, your uh, show, the show, the professional show, the show that you got compensated for, your first compensated show uh, as an actor? Let's go there. So my first compensated show would have been when I was a uh, junior in college. I went to the University of the Arts, and that's in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Okay. Um, and there was a company called Renaissance Music Theater Company. Okay. And they were holding auditions for um, the role of Paul in Kiss Me Kate. Um, didn't know much about Kiss Me Kate, but I auditioned, and uh, it was about uh, maybe five or six weeks of rehearsal. It was a very, it was very community theater um, atmosphere. And then we did a week of tech, and then we had four weekends of shows. And out of all of that time, it was seventy-five a $75 stipend that we got at the end of the run. Okay. But you could not tell me that I wasn't a Broadway star. <laughs> my first ever check. I thought I made it. I thought that was it. <laughs> okay. All right. So what made you decide to come back home? 
you know, because at, at that particular point, you're, you know, you're in college, you're, you're out of state. I'm sure that you could have gone anywhere else um, in order to, you know, be an actor uh, working a living wage. But what made you decide to come back south? Yeah, well, what happened to me was in high school, like my uh, sophomore Actually, my junior year, I uh, was introduced to a theater company called the, at that time, it was called the Fort Lauderdale Children's Theater, um, and I was doing shows with them, um, and then I ended up going to college, but during the summers, I would come back home and do summer camp um, with the kids, and I would direct shows during the summer camp program, um, and it was just something about the way that I felt while educating, that performing didn't do for me. So performing was great and made me feel wonderful, but then educating and directing made me feel wonderful as well. So I went through literally all of my college years trying to figure out a way to make those two things coexist. Because obviously I went to college for my BFA in musical theater, so I'm thinking I'm gonna be on Broadway, you know, because that's that's the step. That's the right. next step. Of course. Um, for everyone. But then I got to my senior year. I did the senior showcase. I got an agent. I was in and out of callbacks for some really cool shows, Hamilton and Book of Mormon and all these cool projects my senior year. But I had a conversation with my um, friend, Tara Norman, and I was uh, just talking to her um, because she always knew she was going to be a theater educator. And I was talking to her. I, I kept saying that it's all great. It's great that I'm having all these callbacks and that I'm introduced to all these people. But to me, it feels like there is just something about my journey that's missing. And she said to me, and I this stayed with me forever, she said, um, well, maybe your journey is a lot like mine because I came to the realization that New York doesn't need me. And I was like, what? What do you mean by that? She said, New York doesn't need me. They have enough Terra Normans. I need to go and change the world where it is I am meant to change the world. And to me, that really made me get taken aback because I was like, well, the, all those kids in, in South Florida, especially the black and brown kids that I've been, you know, really taking under my wing and lifting up, that's where I'm needed. So I moved back home after I graduated um, and I did summer camp again. And then shockingly enough, I went on to do the national tour of Elf the Musical. And this was winter of 2016 that I did that tour. Um, and then after the tour, I knew I was like, okay, well, this is what I'm doing. I'm going to move to New York after I get off this tour. I'm going to live the life. Um, but while on the tour, what was appeasing me and making me feel um, good and like my work was worth something was not getting able to get on the stage and do the production numbers every night. What was actually appeasing me was um, hearing the kids call me text me and say, wow, Darius, you're doing the thing. You're making me believe in myself. What you're doing is giving me more passion and more, you know, belief that it's possible for me as well. That was the fuel that kept me going. So I started to really sense that solely being a performer wasn't the, 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 the end all be all for me. So once I finished the tour, I didn't go to New York. I came back home. Um, and then I got a job at Area Stage Company in Coral Gables, 
I was working there. I directed some shows and taught some classes. I ended up being a full-time teacher and director at FL, at Florida, Florida Children's Theater. Um, and then, you know, South Florida just felt right, and I started booking performance gigs. So I was able to rehearse during the day for the performance gigs and teach classes and direct at night with the students. So it all just turned into this beautiful mistake. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it started to really fuel me, and it just felt right. So I have been here ever since. Okay. Okay. Until it becomes not so beautiful. So yes. uh, we try to uh, be transparent here, and it's not all roses. Uh, some roses actually have thorns. So. We're going to fast forward again, and we're going to come to present day. And of course, we know that we are dealing with this pandemic, but we are also dealing with unrest. And that had come to a head. The date, I believe, was May 25th. So we had two separate uh, instances that had happened. We have Christian Cooper in New York who was confronted by a woman, different first name, same last name, uh, in reference to, of course, uh, being in the park with her dog. And, of course, they had their uh, argument, which led into a racial situation. And south of that, we had a gentleman who was compressed by a knee on his neck, which caused him to pass while he was being arrested. So those two instances, unfortunately, uh, came to a head, which came to be one of the many proverbial straws that broke the camel's back. So I come to you as a black male to say, what was going through your mind on that specific day that's a very very loaded but great question um i thought about myself and even before we talk about george floyd there's a a numerous amount of names we can talk about of course the straw on the that broke the camel's back for me was amon arbert now we all know that i was a a full-time teaching artist and director at the florida children's theater um and I went through a lot of stuff there. Um, obviously, we can get into that. But for me, Ahmaud Arbery came at a time um, when everyone was at home and we were trying to figure out this coronavirus thing. And for me, as a teaching artist at the Children's Theater, we were trying to resituate our programming um, so that we could you know, still make income but still a piece to the families that we have, all that kind of stuff. So what that turned out to be for us was we would do Zoom calls every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So every other day, I was with the the staff members of the Children's Theater, and we were talking about life. We were talking about uh, what was worrying us, what was stressing us. We were talking about what classes and programming we could instill so that the kids could still be involved with us. We were coming up with ways to um, innovate programming. One of our staff members was pregnant. So every day we would check in on her as a human. We would make sure she's good. 
will make sure she's doing fine because we know with COVID and um, everything, it, it, it gets worrisome and her due date was soon. So we were making sure she was okay. But for me, when the news broke about Ahmaud Arbery, um, that situation, no one checked in on me. And that, for me, let me know that I was at a place and in a space where my existence as a human was not valued. Mm. Because we're checking every day to make sure this staff member has enough hand sanitizer. This staff member is doing okay in her pregnancy. But in the moment when the only black staff member that is sitting there can sit on a Zoom call with you guys, and we can't even ask, Darius, how are you? I see what's happening in the world. How how are you as a human? How is your humanness? To not be asked that question, that for me, shattered me. And it took me to a, to a place where I started to think about all the other situations that I have been through and all the micro and macro aggressions I have experienced um, at the Children's Theater. And just like everybody else, I started to wake up. Um, I have been known as a, there's been a few artists down here that have coined me as the Martin Luther King of South Florida Theater because I, I'm not fearful to call out injustice when I see it. I'm not fearful to call out theater companies that are whitewashing shows or that are not giving people of color fair treatment in their companies and in the casting process. I have always called them out. But um, I never spoke about mine, meaning the company that I grew with, the company that I was a part of. I never did that to them. And it you know, went overlooked for so long, but then George Floyd happened, and then everyone, every, as we all know, Target and all these other places were saying, we stand with black lives, we stand with our black customers, and da 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 And the theater company wanted to make a post like everyone else, and say, we stand with our black alums and our black staff members on the right side of racial injustice. And that, when they shared that, before it even got posted public, the artistic director wanted to ask the entire company, all of us, what we thought about the words they were about to say. No one chimed in. No one had an opinion. And so she reached out to me personally because obviously I'm the only black one, so I'm the one who it should matter to anyway. Mm-hmm. But I was sitting back to see what my coworkers were going to say about the statement. They didn't say anything, and so I spoke up. And I said, well, I do not think that as a company this should be posted. And the reason I don't think it should be posted is because these things are false. We sit around every day and I am treated like the black sheep of the group. You do not stand with me and you do not stand for me. So I do not think that the words should be posted and if they are going to be posted, what I think it should be is an apology to the community about how it has treated the black and brown staff and alums and the black and brown students because for so long the students that were black and brown were overlooked at that theater company until I came in and started giving opportunities and my oh my the diversity changed when I walked in the in the space because I, I mean students cannot be what they can't see 
So if they can't see it, they can't be it. And since I was there, they were starting to see it. So they thought that they could be it as well. So to me, that's when it all boiled over and it turned into this, I can't take this anymore. Now, not only are we discarding checking on me as a human and caring about my thoughts and feelings, but now we're lying to the community about what we're doing. And that for me was the end all be all. So at that particular point, did you, that is that where you drafted your, your letter of resignation and also your uh, post to say goodbye to your students and the people who have supported you? It's when I drafted my letter of resignation, but it was not when I drafted my uh, post to the students and families as to why I left. Mm-hmm. So those were two separate instances for me. Okay. Okay. And during this time, when was the bubbling of Renegade? Uh, did this happen, you know, after your resignation or was this something that you were thinking about doing while you were at FTC? So second week of March before the Corona shutdown, um, the artistic director, um, of the Florida Children's Theater. This is one of the instances I laid out in my statement. Um, The cast banded together and they got me an iPad. Um, And obviously the cast was a bunch of beautiful black and brown students, more than any other show ever. For me, when I walked off the stage with my iPad, hoping to run to the open arms of my boss, hoping for her to say congratulations or job well done, or thank you for diversifying our company, she looked at me square in my eyes and said, I guess a lot of money has been stolen over the past few weeks. That, to me, was when Renegade started. Hmm. Because to me, I felt hurt for the black and brown kids that were on that stage that did what they had to do to get me the iPad. And no, I can assure you, the money was not stolen. Hmm. Um, to me, after witnessing all of the work that I put into bringing in these faces into this place and having to fight for years and years and years to give them equal voice and to give myself equal voice. That statement was the alter. It was the, it was it for me. And that's when I knew that I had to do something. And I looked up to the universe. I said, universe, God, whoever is out there, give me a sign that this is not where I'm supposed to be and that there is time for me to open a door that has been unknocked on and then Corona came and shut everything down (laughs) and I said if this isn't a sign from the heavens then I don't know what is and literally I started referencing and researching how I could build my own because at the children's theater Uh, Each director gets their own shows. My shows were always, the enrollment was through the roof. Kids were coming out of the woodworks to audition for my shows. My enrollment in in the classes I was teaching was great. And I don't say that to gloat, but I say that because I was doing the work. I work with Parkway Middle School. I teach those students. I teach students at Dillard Center for the Arts. I go see students in shows. I judge thespian competitions. I meet students. I congratulate them. I I am out here in the community, not only as a performer, but as an educator, getting to know the students that are 
growing up down here. That's what I do. Ground, so pound, and hustle. Yes. So that is what has been really fueling my work at FLCT, and it's been making a lot of kids come with me. So I was thinking, no, I can be my authentic self in a more safe haven and continue doing the work that I do and hopefully build a business that's going to survive. And I said, if now isn't the time to start revitalizing the voices of the underdog, then I don't know when is. So that's when that's when we started building during Corona. That's when it started coming in to start building Renegade because I felt in me that I could not take this any longer. And then in Corona, the sign in the moments when it got hard and I was like, oh, we need to do this for a business. Oh, you have to do this. I was in webinars and all this kind of stuff and I was starting to get a little stressed out about building it and I was like, well, maybe this isn't the leap I should take. But then things started happening. As I told you, we were in those those tri-weekly uh, conversations and I started to really see that I wasn't cared about and that's when Amar Arbery came and that's when other things started to come and it started to keep fueling me to keep building and building and building and my thought was that I was going to stay at FLCT for at least another year um, and then maybe possibly leap into Renegade. I, I did not ever anticipate June 2020 being the time when it launched but after the George Floyd and after the statement that they wanted to put out and how I expressed that I disagree with that statement um, and they still went ahead and put it out that's when I said yep it's time to draft up this resignation it is time for me to take this leap and it's time for me to find something that is beautiful for myself instead of staying in a comfort zone that is just like George Floyd putting a metaphorical knee on my back Right, right. So, how were you able to find uh, the property? It all, to me, it, it was all fate. So, um, during uh, the last week of May, this is after the resignation and everything, um, I started with my friend Naomi, who I've known since uh, middle school. We um, started hunting around. We went on uh, different uh, real estate sites. We actually found a broker who found different spots that we looked at, and nothing felt right. Everything felt too expensive, obviously, because we were, it's literally, everything we're doing now is crowdfunded. So there was no, like, you know, Darius J isn't pulling out of his savings because Darius J, you know, there's nothing to pull from. So, um, obviously, um, money was an issue for us at the start. But we started seeing places, and then we ran into where we are now, and we ran into a landlord that was willing to work with us, that was willing to help us, um, and do what we had to do in order to make this space feasible for us. And it turned out, luckily enough, that the space that we have was equipped with two rooms already, one that is a dance studio size, one that is an acting lab size, another room that is... Um, was a fairly large size that we turned into our team lounge. So now the teenagers have a room that has 
square feet, and it's just open space. And it was perfect because they're right next door. So now we have a space that is for our classes and programming. But then next door we have a space that we're going to eventually renovate into a 100-seat black box theater. Okay. So it's, it, it all literally just happened with faith. And on top of that, we're literally um, a 15-minute walk, two-minute drive from the Lauder Hill Performing Arts Center. And it's in the middle of the community that we want to serve. So it, it's literally as if when I asked the universe that night for a sign, and I said, please point me in the direction, sure, it has been so hard. It has been so very difficult, harder mm-hmm. than I could even explain. But every step of the way has felt like divine timing. It has felt like it is truly meant to be. So I am so grateful for that. Good, good. So b- besides you and your friend Naomi, um, how much? How many staff people do you have? So staff is a very broad word. <laughs> um, so right now there's me as the executive artistic director. My uh, Naomi Brass, she is the managing director, and then our lifelong friend Maya Burton uh, came down from Seattle, um, and she's the education and outreach, um, the director of education and outreach. So there's the three of us, and then every now and then I do dance workshops. I acting workshops and what I do is I bring in artists in the community. Like I've had Jarrell Brown, I've had Vicki Jolene Anderson, I have Andre Russell and what's really cool about these artists is they are all black artists. Um, So in our mission of revitalizing the voice of the underdog and providing these kids with a, a place and a space that has people who look like them teaching them it has really been a beautiful thing because I have all of these artists who are people of color and who are some of the best artists that our area has to offer. They're coming in and teaching our kids. So it's a really beautiful thing. Good. So I understand because I did read a couple of your posts. Uh, August 24th, there was supposed to be a meeting uh, with the Theater League of South Florida and, of course, their uh, talent in order to talk about more ways that they can include uh, black voices or other voices of color or just open dialogue in order to bring in different talent. I don't necessarily... Uh, can you... Did you actually attend this meeting And is there a reason why it wasn't necessarily as open to the public as it probably should have been? Yeah. um, Well, sadly, I did not attend the meeting. I uh, messaged uh, Andy Arthur, who was running it, um, about, you know, if it was open to the public and how I can get a ticket. Because, you know, I am a radical like that, so I am totally willing to talk about race, and that's what I love to do. Um, but it was a meeting that was for, I, if I'm correct, it was the leaders of the South Florida Theater League and some of the um, theater companies. It wasn't open for the public. Um, but I am totally hopeful that a meeting will happen that is open for the public because I'd love to be in the room where it happens. Mm-hmm. 
Now, now since you've launched Renegade, have you heard anything from your previous employer? Any type of uh, congratulations on your on your launch or or any type of feedback? That's got to hurt. And I was like, 
read my letter prior to making his statement. Mm. He made his statement not even knowing the crux of what my letter said. And when he read my letter, he called me back and said, Darius, I am heartbroken. I am sorry that, that this happened to you. And then, um, but that takes me back to the, the, the theater company, my previous employer themselves. They never said anything. They actually shut down the Facebook group so that nobody can say anything. Mm. So what some of the students did, because a lot of the students that I worked with, the black and brown students, are very vocal about fair treatment. So what they did is they started a petition of their own. And they were like, okay, we're not even going to talk about who's right and who's wrong. Let's talk about the fact that FLCT has yet to answer for any of this. They have put out no statements. They have said nothing about it. They haven't issued a public apology. They haven't affected accountability. They haven't done anything. So the students launched a petition, and it launched with over 100 and something signatures to get them to say something. And what did FLCT do in turn? When the students shared the petition to different groups that FLCT has, they shut it down. They turned those groups off, deleted the post. They started blocking and deleting kids from social media. So on Instagram and Facebook, kids were getting deleted left and right. They were, it's as if they were going down the list of anyone who signed the petition, telling them to say something, and removing them. So that was their answer. And then what really put the icing on the cake was they launched, as a lot of organizations are trying to do, an anti-racism and inclusion uh, task force. Hmm. Now that's all fine and dandy, and it sounds, it sounds like it's a good thing to do. But upon looking at the members that are on that task force, anti-racism task force, um, I would say 85% of those people actually said, when I released my statement, they said on Facebook, racism does not exist at FLCT. I don't know what Darius is talking about. In summary. So my question is, well, not really a question, but how are we 
<laughs> long, long story short, no, no, of course not, of course not. Um, now, going into speaking about, uh, I take it that uh, you must have some kind of, okay, let's call it a safe space um, where people, you know, your students can sit down in possibly one of your rooms or the lounge that you talk about where they can talk about their day and they can talk about uh, certain things that are going on during their day, whether they were happy, whether they were sad, things that they've encountered. Um, and of, of course, you know, a place where they can have this support system that um, can, you know, also give them the encouragement in order to express themselves. Yes. Okay. Okay. Short answer. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I think I'm missing the question. No, well, I just, you know, for the experience that you had at FCT, just to know that the things that they did to you and to uh, other people of color, of course, you yourself will not make that mistake. You've put programs in place in order to make sure that everyone is accounted for and that everyone is uh, willing to express themselves and share their stories, whether they be painful or whether they be happy. You provided that safe space for them. Good, good, good. Now, before the uh, space is built for you to perform in, um, have you already like made, I know this is a long ways away, but have, were, are you in the process of actually making uh, contacts uh, in order to perform at different venues once those, um, th those setups are lifted? Heard many samples that we've released, and it's gotten students very excited. 
down here in South Florida. And then we're shooting for a December premiere of that. Um, and the good news about that is we are going to be able to sell that as a live stream without having to worry about rights and royalties and all of the issues that comes along with trying to actually sell recorded material these days. Um, and then the new Student Play Festival is going to be uh, presented as readings. And that's going to be a really cool um, experience for all those kids. Obviously, during the new Student Play Festival, that it, it comes with mentorship. So there's going to be adults in the room helping guide them on their drafts, on their interaction with their actors. But I think we're on to something pretty remarkable because in the future, I would love for it to be bigger and better and to actually be able to fully produce the student-written work in our space. As for the future, right now we're just going to take it step by step and see what partnerships we create, what grants we're able to attain, who we can get to be donors and sponsors for us so that we are able to grow at the speed that we would like. But I can say for five months, we're not doing too shabby. So I'm very, very, very grateful. Good, good. So it seems that your calling is more to provide platforms for uh, young theater artists uh, for expression as opposed to uh, performing, even though it does come hand in hand, actor, singer, director, teacher. So do you feel that you wouldn't mind um, because of course, you know, the ego of the performer kind of taking a step back in performing in order to once again, provide those platforms and to teach this new generation of theater artists in order to go forth and be fruitful? No, I don't have any issue taking a step back um, because to me it, it brightens up my world seeing that look on a kid's face when they do something that they didn't know they could do. When they hit a note they didn't know they could sing when they performed a scene in a truly moving and emotional way that they didn't know was in them. It, 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 it brightens my world being able to crack them open and allow them to explore the endless possibilities that they have in them. And then also I think it helps a little bit because as I'm teaching these kids and as um, all the people in the industry that I bring in to teach these kids, I like to expose them to many different things. I don't want the performer to only think about singing. I don't want the director to only think about directing. What happens if one day the performer is the playwright and the director is the lighting designer? That's what I'm interested in creating these, in creating for these kids. Atmospheres where they can literally explore everything so that when they get into college or when they get into the real world, they can say, well, you know, my, my theater company back home, Renegade, Renegade changed the rules, and it taught me this, and it taught me that. And so now I have this additional thing in my toolbox as comparison to the other people that are my age. So um, I have no issue stepping back with performing, although I do think there's ways to do both, you mm -hmm. know, make both of them coexist. Uh, a couple uh, questions before we go. As you see... Uh, this current administration that uh, we're in right now, it has emboldened voices 
uh, that have totally different opinions from what uh, people of color uh, should be and where where their place is. Uh, you might say that um, they it's uh, it's an archaic vision. So, should this administration change? Do you feel those same voices or do we have the ability to actually amplify our voices to let people know that we are here? We want a piece, not even a piece of a pie. We want we want we want that pie as much as those people do and that our voices do matter and that our opinions do matter and that we as humans matter. Do you feel that there that 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 once the admitted if should that administration change, do you feel that now we'll actually have the standing ground in order to uh, let people know that uh, that that we do matter as people, black, brown, any type of color. So as far as Renegade goes, of course, you have your website, renegadetheatercompany.org. Where else can the, uh, people find out about Renegade? And as for you, Darius J. Manuel, you still have your website, correct? I do indeed. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you very much for taking the time out in order to speak with me, uh, just to uh, let us know uh, who you are and what your plans are going forth. And I do wish you much success in order to 
uh, provide a template for this next generation of theater artists. So thank you for that. Thank you so much. And if I can leave you with anything, I would just say that um, over here at Renegade, and myself included, we are solely focused on the journey and not so much the destination. Sure, there is a destination that we have to get to, but as long as we are embracing the ups and the downs, the ins and the outs of this journey, and having a little fun along the way, I think we might just be okay. Great. Great. So that's that's actually good to leave on that note. So once again, I appreciate the conversation. Thank you so much. And uh, look forward to hearing more great things about you and Renegade. All right. Thank you so much, Kevin. I truly appreciate it. So once again, that was Darius J. Manuel and Renegade Theater Company. You can check their website, renegadetheatercompany.org. And that's theater with an R-E. And then as well, dariusjmanual.com if you'd like to learn more about the artist. And that's going to do it for the Kevin Johnson program. Once again, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to us. Hear the stories of the creatives of South Florida. Find us on anchor.fm forward slash Kev John Pro. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at Kev John Pro. And as always, support your local community. Take care.